Welcome back to the show that tells you, you are a quantum computer with free will, somehow sustaining a single conscious experience through time. My name is Justin Riddle, and this is episode 27 of the Quantum Consciousness series. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the theory of a quantum soul. The idea that some part of you exists throughout your entire lifetime, and quantum mechanics might provide a framework for this actually to be real. By the end of today's episode, we'll ask the question, is there a holographic quantum network spread throughout your brain and body? This episode is available on YouTube, and an audio-only version is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear today, then please like this video, subscribe to this channel, leave a comment below, or for the audio listener, write a review. Join me inside the mystery of numbers. Come and hop a metaphysical loop. Zero concepts become objects and then become quantum. Join us for an episode of Quantum Consciousness. So before I start this episode, I'll give a little bit of background on this channel. So this channel grew out of a course I taught at UC Berkeley for many years on quantum consciousness. And this series is really an extension, a growth of that material and sort of exploring speculations about uh, quantum mechanics and how it might provide a new way of better understanding consciousness. In my day job, I'm a cognitive neuroscientist, and I use magnetic and electrical brain stimulation to understand the role of neural oscillations in cognition and how we could use brain stimulation as a novel form of treatment in psychiatric illness. All right, so the topic for today is quantum soul, and this is intentionally sort of a controversial or interesting topic. So I'm going to start off the episode just talking about what quantum consciousness is and why am I interested in using words like soul. Then I will go through a few of the different quantum mechanical properties that we'll be talking about today. One of them is the Bose-Einstein condensation. Another one is quantum teleportation. And we'll touch a little bit on the no cloning theorem. Finally, I'll be pitching to you three different theories of how a soul um, might be present in, in the body. One of these is sort of a information processing only view, sort of a mind without soul as, a, as sort of a baseline. The next one will be a sort of um, background holographic network that provides a sort of soul into the, the back of the body and then the quantum computational properties in the brain are operating sort of on top of or in front of that. And then finally, I'll be pitching this idea of a conscious pilot, a sort of soul or a mind that is moving around the body and sort of occupying different forms of cognition at different points in time. And then I will end the episode talking about how Potentially all three of these different views of a quantum soul might be somewhat coexisting and we'll be looking to the future where in the next episode I'll be really diving deeply into the idea of quantum teleportation and speculating on the idea of life after death. All right, so to begin, the phrase quantum soul, right? So the word soul is typically from the sort of religious traditions 
And I would really encourage you out there to think about what biases, what associations do you have with certain words that sort of trigger you or make you not want to engage with certain topics. And I think that there is a long tradition um, of, of thinking about our nature in, in reality and really speculating on who we are, what, what our purpose is. And I think this is really core to our sense of self and sort of the choices that we make in our lives and the values that we live our lives by. And so I don't think we should shy away from these really critical, deep, important topics um, just because there's a tradition of them not being studied within science. And so there's sort of this modern era of scienceism. It is often called where there's this idea that science is physical reductionism. There is no mystery left. We're really sort of like crossing our T's, dotting our I's on science as a whole. And we're just, you know, a couple breakthroughs away of of cracking this whole thing wide open and wrapping it up with a nice bow and sort of closing the lid on the nature of reality. But I would encourage you to really question that. And I think the more you dive into scientific theory and the more you dive into academia and the literature that's out there, you'll realize that underlying sort of science fundamentally is this deep mystery, this fundamental unknown, and we truly, truly, truly do not really understand the nature of the human mind and the nature of our choices, these big questions like free will and a sense of self are truly mysterious and there's so much work to be done and I don't think we should view this as a taboo, something that's untouchable and that we, um, we're we not supposed to comment on this um, in any capacity. So I'll really encourage you to keep an open mind, think about these ideas. I'm not pitching to you today any sort of finalized product. Um, these are really just speculations on updating our reality from this digital computer physical framework if we update it into that quantum computer framework existing in a world with superpositions, entanglement, uh, measurement. What does that mean for our sense of self and who we are? Alrighty, so what is a soul? So I'm gonna try to define the essence of what I view a soul as and why it's different from the mind, right? So the mind is our sense of self, our experience in this moment, this wholeness, this unity that we experience of sort of having an outlook, a vantage point, a subjectivity to our experience. And I view the soul as really an extension of the mind where the idea is that there's some core continuity in space, in time, right? So maybe the mind is fleeting, it's temporally here, but it's, but it's here and it's gone and it's fleeting. Um, the soul, by contrast, would be something that is temporally extended and is spatially extended in a very sort of like crystalline, crisp way where you really need to have that that real strong sense of self where you're not just here in the moment, you're not just here and gone, but there's something that's that's really sustained throughout time. Um, and what would that be in quantum mechanics? All right, so 
when we're thinking about the candidate for what a soul could be um, in in the body or in our brains, and I will be presenting sort of a soulless model as like a null hypothesis, um, still within the quantum mechanical framework. But the question here is, you know, what principles in quantum mechanics or what properties of quantum mechanics might explain or might have some bearing on this idea of a quantum soul? So I'm going to go through a few of them here. One of them is Bose-Einstein condensation. Another one is the no cloning theorem. And a third and final one is this idea of quantum teleportation. So I'm going to really focus today on the Bose-Einstein condensation. And so what this essentially is, is this bizarre property within quantum mechanics where if you take a quantum system and typically you'll have a quantum system where it exhibits this local wave function, this smearing out, this probability space of multiple possible futures, multiple possible things that it could be doing. And then when you measure that quantum system, it gets collapsed, it becomes a particle, it gets localized into this space-time reality, and then it re-enters a superposition. And there's sort of this cyclic process of superposing, getting measured, superposing, getting measured. And typically, these properties are happening at such a microscopic scale that we're never really aware of these properties because we're at such a macroscopic scale that when you look around, there's so much measurement occurring where every single little bit of atom or photon, everything in the universe is a quantum system. All of those systems are measuring each other. So at the scale that we exist at, everything appears physical because all the quantum properties are being masked out by these massive measurement processes that are occurring everywhere, right? So in a Bose-Einstein condensate, the idea is that there's this special state of, of matter or of these quantum systems where you'll witness macroscopic quantum properties. So this was first observed with um, liquid helium-2. And so what you do is you take helium atoms and normally a helium atom is sort of superposing between multiple different energy states and when you measure it, it becomes one energy state. It goes into a superposition of many different energy states, you know, and the cycle repeats. But when you super cool helium atoms, they, they lose a lot of that uh, potential movement energy. And so they all get locked down into this ground state where all of these helium atoms are at the lowest ground state with the lowest possible energy. And when all of these atoms reach this, this low ground state, this bizarre property emerges where all of these helium atoms actually condense and become a single superfluid, right? They become joined at the wave function where all of the individual particles lose their identity entirely and there's now a single wave function guiding all of those atoms collectively. And so now it's improper to describe any individual atom and they're all sort of interchangeable within this massive superfluid. And so what's super cool about this 
is that they exhibit very bizarre properties that you would typically only see at the scale of individual atoms, right? At this super micro scale. And there's a bunch of videos on, on YouTube that you could check out and I highly recommend it. But essentially this liquid helium exhibits wave-like properties and particle-like properties simultaneously. So it has something called zero viscosity. Viscosity is like molasses, it's sticky, it pulls. Zero viscosity means that it glides, it flows smoothly without any sort of friction. And so you can create these frictionless, infinitely flowing fountains of superfluid liquid helium where there's no um, sort of energy loss as the, the liquid is flowing. Right, so there's so many bizarre properties that, that sort of emerge, and these are quantum mechanical properties that are present everywhere, but typically only at the super micro scale, right? Um, some other examples here are superconduction. And superconduction, once again, it happens when you can super cool things down to near absolute zero. And uh, a classic example that is sort of used in our everyday uh, medical practice, at least, is uh, magnetic resonance imaging. In MRI scanners, you actually need to super cool these, I'm pretty sure they're copper rods. And essentially what happens is you get them to just one or two degrees above absolute zero, and you create a superconductor where you can actually pump high voltage electricity into these super cooled coils and the electrons exhibit once again this sort of like zero viscosity flow state where the electrons are traveling and they're not bumping into each other they're not chaotically uh, crashing into each other and that chaotic crashing produces a lot of heat so when you are using your electronic devices you'll know that if you put it like a laptop on your lap, it's gonna start heating up because this electron flow is chaotic and it's emitting a bunch of heat. However, in a superconductor, it's so cold and it exhibits these quantum mechanical properties that you can get extremely high voltage electricity running almost for free where normally there's all this expenditure of energy and you have to charge your device. You have to have a capacitor which is constantly releasing electric current into your device to keep it running. In an MRI scanner, there's so little loss of electric power um, because there's none of this like friction. However, it has to be kept super cool. So it's not for free because a lot of energy um, goes into cooling the system down to only one or two degrees above absolute zero in order to sustain that sort of um, flow, that, that super flow of electricity. Another example is uh, laser beams. Once again, we're all very familiar with, with lasers, um, but lasers are photons, individual particles of light, which exhibit a, a shared wavelength. And when you have a bunch of photons that share a wavelength, it forms a laser beam, and those lasers exhibit these, um, these properties, these quantum mechanical properties as well. So there's a number of examples that we're able to create in a lab that exhibit these macroscopic quantum mechanical properties. And in previous episodes, I talked about what's really cool about this is that quantum mechanics provides us with a way of 
building a macroscopic entity from microscopic parts. And so in the search for the human mind, for this soul, what's really appealing about Bose-Einstein condensation is that you're creating genuine macroscopic entities, right? It's not just like, oh, I took a bunch of Legos and I built up this big thing, um, but you could actually just take apart the Legos and, and really, you know, that Lego structure is just made out of the parts. Here, you have something which is genuinely this macroscopic wave function, which is comprised of these particles, but it's not reducible to the particles. There is a single macro wave function that is moving and flowing. And so measuring any part of the system is going to have a ripple effect and, a, and a, an effect on the entire wave function simultaneously. And any single particle moving is going to be governed by the holistic thing, right? By the entire superfluid, by the entire superconductor. There's something sort of creating that simultaneity of one entity out of all the parts. Um, and so this is really appealing from a quantum mind perspective because we have this sense of self. We have this holistic um, idea that we are a whole being. Could Bose-Einstein condensation be a way of creating these holistic beings? And of course, you're screaming at the screen, ah, but you need to go right above absolute zero to make this possible. And so the question is, could you make this happen in biology in any way, shape, or form? And I encourage you to check out um, some previous episodes about how this might be possible. Um, the orchestrated objective reduction model. There's the idea that microtubules might be these onboard biological computers. Um, but really, there's there's a number of ways that that maybe this could be happening in biology through these carefully constructed molecular mechanisms where the molecular scale is already at the scale where quantum mechanical properties are highly relevant. And so if you had like these carbon nanotubes or these, these carefully constructed geometric shapes, they seem to provide a way where you have sort of a shielding from the environment and might be conducive to creating um, sustainable quantum mechanical properties. And I'm going to go into the Bose-Einstein condensate in a little bit here um, when, it, when it comes to what this would mean in terms of, of a soul or what it would mean in terms of, of the dynamics of a quantum mind through time. Okay, so the next property I want to talk about is quantum teleportation. And quantum teleportation is essentially when you have multiple systems that are entangled with each other, you can sort of shuttle a wave function between multiple quantum systems. And so what this really comes down to is this idea of entanglement, which is distinguishable from the Bose-Einstein condensation. In the Bose-Einstein condensation, you have a bunch of different um, particles that are coming together, forming this macroscopic wave function, the creation of sort of a single entity. In entanglement, you have two different quantum systems that are sort of separate entities and yet you're entangling them such that there's a connection shared between these systems where there's now a wave function to describe both of these systems and it's impossible to break that wave function down 
because the two systems are entangled and they're sort of inseparable from each other. So with quantum teleportation, and I'll go into this in the next episode at at greater detail, but the idea here is that you can have two different systems that are entangled with each other and then a wave function state can be transferred between these two different systems. So this is a way where you could sort of have a protected quantum state and it could move around between multiple quantum systems where those quantum systems are sort of um, vessels for that quantum information, for that quantum state to be moved. Um, And so we're kind of viewing the dynamics of multiple quantum systems um, inside of of the brain or inside of the body, theoretically. And then finally, I want to touch on this idea of the no cloning theorem. And we won't go too much into detail here, but the idea with the no cloning theorem is that any given wave function is fundamentally unique and cannot be copied. So the way that I have explained this in the past in the uh, entanglement web episode is the idea that you can imagine every quantum system as having some sort of imprint on reality, some sort of history. It's kind of like a blockchain of all the interactions that it's had in the past. And it sort of carries that baggage of those relationships such that any wave function held within a quantum system is infinitely unique and it's sort of like the snowflake of that individual and it cannot be copied. And so this is very interesting when we talk about the soul in the idea that you feel like you have this sort of snowflake-like intrinsic identity that's unique to you and and is special to you and and not shared by anyone else on some level. All right, so hang in there. We're about to go into these different quantum theories now using these different principles. And I think this will, in one sense, crystallize that that framing of of these different properties and also make it practical. And we'll talk about the implications to the quantum soul right now. All right, so I want to sort of start with like the null hypothesis, the soulless version of a quantum mechanical mind. And so here the idea is that let's just take this sort of orchestrated objective reduction model of the human mind where your mind is a quantum computer. There's some way that biology has been able to create and sustain this quantum computational force or entity, which is you. And now every single um, evolution of that quantum computer's wave function It evolves, it collapses, it evolves, it collapses. Each of those evolutions and collapses is a moment in time. And this is sort of the Penrose Hammer-Off model, where as that wave function collapses, that objective reduction, there is sort of a moment of experience associated with that collapse. And so as you're sitting there and you're thinking, There's these ratcheting moments of experience where every single moment is is a new sort of feeling, a new experience of reality, and that is your mind. It's this series of moments that are occurring, and the orchestration 
is how biology is sort of feeding information into each of those quantum computational evolutions. And that information that's fed into the quantum computer is the content of your thoughts, the, the characteristics of what you're experiencing. And so in this viewpoint, there doesn't need to be a soul in any sort of strong sense, right? The brain could be creating this macro quantum computer to process information because it's useful for the survival of the organism, right? You need to process a lot of information to make meaningful decisions about your future. And so you just need to create this quantum computer because this is the best computer that, that reality can come up with. And so you're funneling all this information in. It's evolving. There's a moment of experience associated with each of these computations, with each of these evolutions and collapses. However, there is no soul. There is nothing holding it really together through time except for the nature of the information, right? So you could say the brain is a physical structure. There's all these proteins. There's all these patterns of how... Um, information is stored either in microtubules or in synaptic properties, you know, whatever biological system is in place to keep information over time. All of that physical information creates the continuity of your experience. However, every given moment is just a new flash of reality. There's just now, there's just now, there's just now, there's just now. There's a continuity of self through the information content. Right now, I remember my childhood. I remember all these experiences having occurred in my past. However, this is a fresh moment. This is the present. This is this one moment. And there is no soul. There is only now. There is only now. There is only now. And there is information content creating continuity. But this moment is fresh. It is new. It is this whole moment. And so there could be a quantum mechanical framework for describing a mind as a quantum computer but not having any sort of soul property, right? And I think this is really helpful for even thinking about what a soul would be. A soul would be something beyond just this momentary experience, right, of having this conscious experience. There would need to be something stronger which is able to be sustained across time. What then would that look like, right? So moving on to our next theory, this I think is, is a much stronger form of, of having a soul. And this would be that there's some sort of wave function spread throughout your body that is sustained over time. And the idea here would be Maybe there's some sort of Bose-Einstein condensation, something which is able to give you this, this framework, this background network of this highly interconnected single wave function that permeates your entire body. And I think in the most strong sense, your body would then create something which is... Um, sort of hyper-robust to noise, right? So the thing that threatens quantum mechanical properties is environmental decoherence, chaos from the world around us. And so could there be in your bodies 
some sort of hyper-connected network that creates this macroscopic Bose-Einstein condensation. One theory is that there's um, sort of within the microtubules, because it's such a narrow space, the photons that are allowed to enter into the hollow tube of the microtubule are selected to be of a certain wavelength, thus creating sort of a laser network within all your microtubules. Sort of a wild idea there. Um, or there's some sort of superfluid property held within this you know, molecular scale, maybe within like the phospholipid bilayer membrane of cells. It's so highly organized and ordered. You can create these crystalline ordered molecular systems and through that crystalline ordering, you create macro scale um, Bose-Einstein condensation. Um, so I think in all of these theories or running through all of these different mechanisms, there's some sort of holistic network that's then created, which creates a single self within you, right? And one property of this would be this sort of holographic principle. And the holographic principle basically states that within any given piece of the whole is an image of the whole. So you have a bunch of pieces holding the whole image and then collectively they make a very high resolution whole image, but then on their own they have sort of a low resolution image of the whole, right? So within this like holographic network within your body, there's some sort of hyper-stable system which is holding a holistic holographic image of the self. And this is sustained throughout time, through your lifetime, even as parts of your body are destroyed or created, they're getting plugged into this holographic network. And then there's more information that can be stored and created at different parts of this network. And they're all sort of holographically contributing to the whole system. Um, so this is sort of bizarre, but I think one idea here is that even if you destroy parts of the brain or parts of the body, the whole self, the soul of the individual is persistent. Um, and I think this is somewhat important because there really doesn't seem to be any part of the brain or part of the body that is the seat of consciousness, right? You can systematically destroy almost any part of the brain and you still have consciousness. Some exceptions are like these core brainstem nuclei, which keep you awake. Um, but those really seem like fundamental to just wakefulness um, and not necessarily to like that, that meaningful sense of, of consciousness. You know, jury's kind of out. Think about that um, how you will. And neurons are really an ideal candidate for this uh, Bose-Einstein holographic network. Essentially because neurons survive your entire lifetime, um, so they are created and destroyed. However, there seems to be a core framework of, of neurons that, that survive your whole lifetime. And so potentially within these networks, there's some sort of like self that is sustained and maintained. Finally, the third theory, I'm calling it the conscious pilot. And this is a term uh, coined by, I think, Stuart Hameroff, because he has a, a couple papers on this topic. 
Um, but the idea with the conscious pilot is that there's some wave function that is you, which is able to move around dynamically. And this is where your consciousness is at any given moment. And it's moving and shifting throughout the body. So in the Stuart Hameroff model of the conscious pilot, he, of course, is very focused on these microtubule structures. And he views this as a way of you have some sort of microtubule network and then you're opening and closing connections between the microtubule networks and you're shifting around this sort of core macro system. You know, maybe there's this dominant quantum computer within the brain and it's sort of being shifted around and maybe the rest of the systems go into more localized micro quantum computational systems. Um, but what I've really been thinking about this within is this idea of hierarchical consciousness. And so check out my previous episode on the nested observer window model. But the nested observer window model is essentially suggesting that there are a bunch of different conscious entities within your brain and they're operating semi-autonomously. So this, I think, is, is probably the easiest uh, model to defend just purely from a biological standpoint. It looks like there's some brain structure here that, that does XYZ, another brain structure over here that does XYZ. So you have different brain regions, different structures committed to different modes of processing, different types of cognition. And so the question is, you know, where do these feed into and how do you get a holistic self out of all these different pieces? Um, it seems really easy to just say, well, maybe there are multiple conscious entities within a single self, within a single brain. They're operating, they're doing their own thing, and there's mechanisms for how they share information with each other. Um, and so within this model, we talk about the Cartesian multiplex. And this is sort of a throwback to Daniel Dennett's idea of the Cartesian theater. And the Cartesian theater in philosophy is this idea that the brain is like creating this theatrical play of your life. And it's meant to be an absurdist uh, argument, right? It's meant to be absurd that why would the brain go about putting on this show for you? And it's sort of a way of, of disparaging the concept of a self because you're basically saying, you know, why would the brain go about creating all this theatrics when really it's just, you know, the brain does what it needs to do. It's not going to create this meta representation of this theatrical play. It's just going to do what it's got to do. And, and why would it go about creating this whole show? And so in the nested observer window model, uh, we're kind of playing around with this idea in sort of a proactive way, uh, affirming the Cartesian theater, but instead saying that it's a Cartesian multiplex, that maybe there is some sort of conscious pilot moving throughout your brain and different parts of your brain are putting on different shows, right? A multiplex is like a cinema with many different theaters. And so instead of just having a single theatrical production, you conceptualize each part of the brain or each network of brain regions as putting on its own show, right? 
This is the mind wandering, uh, thinking about your past show. This is the part of your brain that's driving the car right now. Um, this is another part of your brain engaged in abstract thought about the nature of reality. So there's all these different types of theatrical shows going on simultaneously in your brain. And then there's this pilot, this conscious being that is you that's sort of shifting and moving between all these different theatrical productions. And it's here, it's paying attention to this thing, and now it moves over onto this other cognitive stream. And each of these theatrical productions are, are ongoing, right? They keep going even when you shift to the next one. They're sort of semi-autonomous, running independently, and then if the conscious pilot decides to shift into that modality of thought, it's gonna go enter into that modality, contribute to the processing of that information, and then maybe it shifts away into some other system. And so I think the best quantum mechanical principles for this would be quantum teleportation, entanglement, right? The idea that maybe there is some precious wave function, which is you, the viewer, you're this precious wave function and it's shifting around the brain occupying this sort of theatrical production and then some other and each of those are you know whatever you're paying attention to in that moment there's some sort of dynamic process shifting this wave function around in your brain um, and it's sort of enjoying the show and all these different all these different angles all right so putting this all together i mean this is so much information and it's all kind of kind of more on the wild speculative end, which I totally understand. None of this is meant to be sort of a definitive uh, framing of how reality actually works. Um, but to sort of summarize these three different models and, and sort of contrast them, compare them with each other, I think on the more like physicalist end, you have a quantum computer mind, you have a quantum computer self, but the soul is really this like, pattern of physical information digital information through time you have this complex memory storage system in the brain and it's able to access and and generate information content and so all these like brain regions which are sort of content providers they're content providers for your quantum computing mind the quantum computing mind is this instantaneous thing that's flickering through through life moment by moment and there really is no soul there's really just sort of this uh this this information content that's being orchestrated and giving the the sense of continuity and i think this is obviously like the easiest model to defend because it's the least speculative granted still being very speculative but compared to the others sort of the least speculative and uh, a cool property of this is that in the wave function collapse you destroy the wave function and then a new wave function reemerges. You are now that new wave function and the information content is present from the past and you contributed to that. But in a weird way, you're just this moment of time. You've always just been a moment of experience and the information content gives the illusion of a soul but really, you're just in this present moment always. You are always just this brand new moment. And so in a weird way, there is you lose your identity there. The, the no cloning theorem 
only applies to each moment, right? That wave function, that moment is a new wave function and that is, that is non-clonable. It's a unique, precious moment that's never occurred before. That is you right now, but then it's destroyed through measurement, through self-collapse, and then it's gone. And then there's a new moment and there's a new you in this next moment, right? So there really isn't a soul in this framing. Another option would be the Bose-Einstein condensate model where somehow despite all these quantum computational forces, um, the, the condensate is sort of supervening beyond those quantum computational forces. So I kind of put this at like a higher level where the quantum computer is running, it's collapsing, it's like destructively destroying a bunch of you know wave functions left and right. It's generating digital information. It's, it's storing that in the brain and in the body. And then there's sort of this stable soul, if you will, which persists throughout time. Maybe it has its own wave function, um, which, which is you. It's non-clonable. It has that sort of entity of self, of, of being sort of soul-like in that it is this, this would be you. And your mind is sort of this quantum computer operating more dynamically, interfacing with the body. And maybe this background soul is kind of protected from destruction, from decoherence in some yet to be discovered way. Um, and maybe meaningfully interfacing with the mind and with the body. And so I'm like kind of putting this at least graphically sort of in the, the platonic domain um, but but it's sort of a way where, where maybe there could be a persistence of a wave function, which is you through time, um, riding on top of that more chaotic, collapse-focused mind. Also worth noting, Bose-Einstein condensates are particularly uh, terrible at quantum computing because all of the uh, all the particles are in the same state. And so, you know, early models of the Penrose Hameroff model used to talk about Bose-Einstein condensation, like in the 1996 paper, and they since dropped it like in their 2014 uh, update of the model because there's something sort of non, not really computational about it. Um, so if it were to exist in the body in some form, it wouldn't actually be associated with that faster, quantum quantum mind computational force maybe it would just be this big slow pervasive soul-like wave function embedded in some more like fundamental holographic network in the brain or body who knows super super speculative there um, and then the third and final i think sort of intermediary level here is this sort of moving conscious pilot that travels around the brain and sort of uh dynamically chooses which information stream to interface with. Um, I think some problems with that model are, yeah, once again, the wave function collapse, destroys the wave function, and then creates a new wave function. Maybe there's some property that survives collapse, and then through some sort of teleportation process, you could be teleporting, moving around some sort of self throughout the brain, throughout the peripheral nervous system in the body, or in the more physicalist theory, where there is only just this moment, but you get to kind of choose where the conscious pilot is for each moment. So the, the brain slash body is sort of 
guiding where the quantum computational energy or forces are being placed. And so the conscious pilot is sort of moving around, um, but there isn't anything that survives through time. So anyways, all this to say, um, is there a capacity for a soul through quantum mechanics? I think it's I think it's it's tough. It's really tough. It's hard to think about even within a quantum computer framing of the mind and the body because collapse is still a part of the quantum computational process. It's still hard to think about what would survive through time in a real genuine sort of way. So I'll leave you with this and in the next episode I'm going to talk about quantum teleportation. And we'll talk about what Stuart Hameroff and others have talked about in terms of a quantum soul surviving death, having some sort of afterlife or reincarnation process. Is this possible? Once again, it's very hard to think of what these mechanisms could be, but could we rule it out? Maybe we can't rule it out. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's more physics to come. Maybe there's new ideas that we can come to understanding. And maybe there's more that we could learn about the nature of reality, which will make more of this stuff um, that seems impossible now, seems like magic now, become scientific, become something that we can understand and explain and turn into technologies, potentially. So with that, I'll leave you to ponder and I'll talk to you again real soon.